welcome to this week's Three Legs Four Wheels F1 podcast. It's Paul here with Dan, Chris, Sean. You're joining us this week. Apparently so. Welcome. Hello, Sean. Welcome, welcome along. No, no Lee this week, but a definitely better replacement. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you know what you're talking about. I'm better as in physically better as well because Lee is non physically capable. Lee is week. sick. Lee is unwell. Very much. Lee is sick and unwell. <laughs> <laughs> um. Although I have a bit of a cough, so if I am coughing throughout, I, I do apologise in advance. You might have already been, but we could be breaking time. I have, but this is the intro, so... Let's break we, time. We, we always, make, we always break, make breaking time jokes. Shall we have a jump cut? Go on, Yes. Then. Well, with testing and all the launches out of the way, who better to talk about everything new for 2019 with than uh, Craig Scarborough? Craig, thanks for coming back on. Hello. Uh, thanks, for, th- thanks for welcoming me back. Yeah, Happy New Year, and... Um, it's shaping up to be quite interesting, actually, isn't it? It is a bit. Um, we saw quite a lot of things in testing that we weren't expecting. Um, Ferrari speed, Mercedes possibly sandbagging, and the disaster that's Williams. We've got a, we've got a lot to talk about with that. <laughs> yeah, and, and everything in between as well. Yeah. Yes. That's kind of ten, ten garages worth of what the hell's going on. Where, mm. where do we start? Somebody want to throw something out? Well, start at the sharp end because that's where everything seems to be. That's where all the interest is, isn't it? Um, mm. Are Ferrari as fast as they seem? Because we've seen this before, haven't we? Ferrari have absolutely smashed testing in the past. Um, <laughs> we've had Sean Kelly on before. who said, "Yes, that's it. Ferrari have won the Winter World Championship." He said it a couple of years ago. But yes, they've, I mean, they've never yeah. won the Summer World Champ. Well, not in, in in a few years now. Not won the Summer World Championship. So. What can we actually tell from the sharp end of testing? Well, I mean, I think a lot of people read way too much into testing. Um, you know, I think that that's kind of a truism. I mean, I, I remember when the testing started, even this, this year, within a couple of hours, it's, oh, so-and-so has set a blistering time. And it's like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but... Um, you, you, know, you, can, you can read some, some sort of fairly basic facts into it. Yes, Ferrari are well prepared. Um, they don't have a problem with their car. Um, and, you know, clearly it's very quick. And as you can tell from the onboards, it appears to be a very easy car to drive um, on a, the, both the, the, the sort of quality sims that they did and on the race things. You know, when you look at the car itself, it's very much an evolution of what Ferrari have been doing for the last few years. Um, they've changed the, um, the, the the side pods and cooling around a bit. You can tell by the roll hoop; it's a bit more triangular now. That they've taken some of the packaging out of the um, cooling above the engine and packaged it down. And we actually saw some some Spanish spy pictures that they've repackaged the engine slightly. It'd be a bit interesting to see, you know to know exactly what they've done in that area. Um, and obviously they've you know, adapted to the new rules as well. And I think the big thing that everyone's noticed on the Ferrari is the front wing, which we we all now call it the Sauber front wing, even though technically Sauber doesn't exist. And yeah. it's not as if they've copied Sauber anyway, because um, Ferrari, uh, Alfa Romeo, as Sauber should be called, but I, I'll, I continually forget. Um, <laughs> and um, Toro Rosso will come up with my, very much the same sort of concept with front wing. Um, but yeah, Ferrari really look like they've got everything ready for the start of the season, as they have done for uh, quite a few years now. Um, and you know, obviously we'll come to talk about Mercedes, but um, you know, as as Sean put it, it's the Winter Championship. You know, you've got. The, the, the week of the launches, it's almost like a design competition. Who's got the best design car? And then you have testing. Who's got the best car? But the litmus test really is, is how that car 
uh, performs at the the heat and the variety of circuits that we have, you know, through the season, and how they develop that car through the year. Which really Ferrari haven't been very good at their in season development. Certainly last year, you know, they just got to the point where they were looking like they might be invincible, you know, mid season sort of pre Silverstone, um, and then the second half of the season they were kind of weren't making progress anywhere. And very rapidly lost out to Mercedes that did a huge amount of work on the car mid-season to late season, which almost certainly, you know, retained the championship for them. So, you know, Ferrari quick in testing doesn't mean that they're going to win the world championship automatically because, you know, we've got, I'm trying to find out how many months it is now. It's got like nine months of racing between now and then. So um, a lot can change. But, you know, again, I think the key thing is that Ferrari are there or thereabouts. Um, and they haven't kind of fallen down a pit or made some mistakes because, you know, we've had the, the personnel changes with Bernardo now stepping up to be team principal rather than just technical director. Um, obviously, Arriva Bene is gone. We have this uh, interim head of um, Ferrari there as well. Um, and there appears to be some stability in the team, which which for Ferrari is always a good thing. Um, it's not a very Ferrari a, thing of late. No. Um, exactly. I mean, I think that there was aspects of last season which were perhaps, you know, sort of typically Ferrari. Um, but certainly the, you know, the, the, the rise of Bonotto through the team and uh, certainly over the winter taking, as I say, the team principal role. I mean, he seems to be a very steady, very calm pair of hands. He's not one for histrionics and uh, sort of snap judgments. And uh, I think you can tell that a bit from over the winter that there weren't big staff changes uh, around Ferrari um that you know often happens when they feel that they've lost out on something and there must be a scapegoat um you know they've lost quite a few good engineers over the years um you know by doing that so yeah so i mean i think you know in summary i think you've got to say that ferrari you're looking good they're looking competitive but you know don't read into that that the championship is you know within one of their hands already yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see. Um, obviously, we're not going to get to see a great deal of this till um, we get well into Australia, and then maybe not then. But they were being more secretive than normal over the floor on the car when Vettel had the off on mm-hmm. Thursday of the second week. Uh, the fir- the first thing he did when they were when they were putting the shroud on the car before they got it onto the flatbed was made sure that the floor was covered. So it looks like they've done some quite heavy work on that as well. Because he, he was making a point of telling people, get the floor covered first. Yeah, I mean, at the back of the floor, there isn't an awful lot you can really kind of do now. And it's very easy, with you know, knowing the photographers, to get good shots of the diffuser of the car. I mean, the pit lane exit at Barcelona is almost perfect. Um, but Ferrari have uh, always been through testing one of the, the most secretive, I think probably only beaten by Red Bull that would you know, literally have the car drive into a tent in the pit lane and have the mechanics run along with, uh, under some kind of gazebo before the car got into the garage. Um, it's that ridiculous testing uh, secrecy that we have. But, um, yeah, I mean, Ferrari have got some, you know, we saw that they're developing late last year where the, the edge of the floor in particular seems to be an area of big development for the teams, putting lots of slots along the edge of the floor. And Ferrari then started to add fins above that as well as high as the regulations allow. And we've seen other teams, uh, Toro Rosso, Renault, um, Mercedes, I'm trying to remember if it was Red Bull as well, all following some of those design aspects of the uh, Ferrari in that area. 
But, um, you know, the floor remains the most important aerodynamic part of the car. As much as we'll talk about other aspects of the car at the end of the day, that's the thing that does the lion's share of the work. So, you know, teams will always cover that over. I mean, I haven't seen anything on the Ferrari that, uh, in terms of the floor area at least, that would suggest that, you know, they've got something particularly clever going on there. But um, uh, I think we'll see a lot more of that when we, when we get to Melbourne. Yeah, would you subscribe to the fact that I mean, a lot of people seem to... Um seem to be saying you talk about the repackaging of the ferrari engine that they've gone for a lot of a, a lot slimmer back end on the ferrari in 2019 so almost like um kind of like the, the red bull philosophy of following on from the old mclaren philosophy that a skinnier back end is better do you, do you think uh, the ferrari yeah. looks slimmer at the back end it, it does, and it's unfortunate. It's one of these very visual things. Um, you know, if you took top three cars, the Ferrari, the Red Bull, and the Mercedes, they've all probably end up, if you could measure the volume inside the bodywork, kind of from behind the cockpit and from the front of the side pods backwards, they've probably all got exactly the same amount of volume of space inside the bodywork. They've just squeezed it into different shapes. Right. So Red Bull have this very jelly-molded side pod shape. Uh, Mercedes have gone very narrow this year, all the way along the length, which is one of the reasons the Merck haven't followed the Ferrari side pod philosophy. Ferrari a bit more conventional, but what they've done is they did what McLaren uh, did last year, and in, unfortunately McLaren did in their first Honda year, which was to try and slim everything above the engine to the minimum uh, and have like, that top part of the bodywork as slim as possible. And as you can see, the, the Ferrari actually has bulges to get the exhaust out from the gearbox, uh, yeah. out through the bodywork. Um, so they've just gone for a slightly different uh, shape to everybody else. I don't think they've done anything especially radical. It's just, you know, they've, they've put the, squeezed the bodywork into different shapes to Red Bull and Mercedes. Um, and I think all of them are equally valid. And I don't think anyone needs to copy anyone else to change their sort of philosophy or anything. But, um, you know, it's it's interesting how different these things can be when so much of the rest of the car now is becoming almost, um, I, you know, I've been describing it as a cookie cutter. You know, everyone's got similar side pods, similar wings, similar yeah. barge boards. You know, there's not there's not a lot of scope to play about with different shapes. And the, the main shape of the side pod is about the only piece remaining now. But, yeah, certainly Ferrari's done a lot of work in the repackaging of the top end of that engine where the uh, air inlets are and the plenum for the uh, air inlets, um, which is very different to what they've done in the past, which, again, you know, I don't want to suggest anything that I don't know to be true, but I wonder if they have done something more radical with the engine packaging, maybe going to a Mercedes split turbo or changing something around that sort of area of the car at the top end uh, move the packaging about a bit to uh, get that bodywork to be as slim as it is. Mm. Yeah, we heard um, we heard a statement out of um, sort of joint one between Red Bull and Honda saying that they're uh, looking at changing the engine packaging already over the next couple of uh, couple of weeks. So did I didn't mm. didn't particularly notice them running into any problems, but have they found improvements? Do you think? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think almost definitely when you know when. Uh, Red Bull technology, when we, t we talk about um, Red Bull Racing and Toro Rosso, started to talk to Honda about what they were going to do with the power unit for this year. I'm sure there were some Adrian Newey and uh, Aero packaging-led discussions as to what shape they want the engine. You know, where do they want to put the exhaust? They want them down low, they want them in tight, they want them up high, and the same with the inlets and stuff. And, you know, all of that does um, push the engine uh, designers to uh, make compromises because 
at the end of the day, it's aero makes up so much more performance than than even engine performance does in some respects. Um, and that will always lead to, you know, um, hot spots inside the uh, uh, engine installation. And there was also lots of rumors about vibration. I'm not quite sure where this comes from because there's not a lot you can do with the current engine regulations to um, introduce vibration in an unwanted way into the engine. So I think that's a bit odd. Um, uh, yeah, so they probably are talking about it, maybe easing some of that back. Again, you know, we haven't really had a chance to have a look at the uh, the back of the Red Bull in detail. I mean, I've seen the back of the Toro Rosso in, in spy pictures, and that looks very similar to what they had last year. So I'm not quite sure the areas that they're worried about. Um, but again, as we saw on track, you know, the, the, the Red Bull was incredibly reliable. Honda put in a lot of mileage. Um, I don't think they did more mileage than any other engine manufacturer necessarily but certainly there was no big losses in time like you know they had previously um perhaps equally similar to last year they had a really good testing phase before they then really started to push the engine uh, through the season um and you know i think the fact that honda and red bull are working very well and they're very open and very honest and admitting of each other, which hasn't been the case with Red Bull with um, previous engine partners, shall we say, <laughs> without mentioning any names. Or Honda with uh, previous car partners. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I think Honda have always have been, you know, very um, uncritical of their partners. Uh, you know, I think it's very much the Honda way. Um, but, um, I mean, I think it just goes to show that this is a much better relationship that you're getting between Red Bull Technology and Honda. And we saw that with Toro Rosso last year. We saw that, you know, immediately things were working much better when there were problems. It was all kind of, everything was up front and out in the open and there wasn't any kind of finger pointing or, or, you know, we're just complaining because you've got a down power engine or it just keeps blowing up. You know, it's like, we're in this, we're going to get through it. And, you know, that seems to be continuing this year. So, you know, I hope that continues because I don't like it. I mean, I didn't like the attitude that Red Bull had over recent years um, towards, you know, their engine partners. I don't think it was professional. I don't think it was helpful. Um, but, you know, when you then look at the, the Red Bull pace, um, it's pretty much where you would expect it to be if it still had the Renault engine in there. So, you know, it shows that very much that the Honda engine is on a par with the, the Renault engine that was in the back of the car previously. So, you know, that has to be, you know, a, a good first step for the uh, partnership. There's that pronounced bold, though, isn't there, that we saw on the uh, on, on the McLarens and uh, last year's Toro Rosso has now appeared on the Red Bull with the um obviously the Honda needs like a bigger air inlet than you know the, than the other power units it's it's just appears to be it, it surprises me that they're now thinking of repackaging it so late on even after testing um yeah. obviously the bodywork's already been it's it, it's been put into production it's been remolded you know it's the, these parts are you know, re, you know the, the tolerances are tiny already so i mean there's not to, to me it doesn't seem like there's an awful lot they can actually change well, I mean, I think what, you, what you'll find is that, you know, they, they signed off the testing bodywork quite some time ago. Um, it's one of the first things that teams sign off. And Red Bull didn't really have many modifications to the car through testing in terms of, you know, big chunks of new bodywork. So they probably have something fairly substantial to be changed uh, for Melbourne, which, of course, will already have been signed off is already in production. There's nothing they can do to change that. So they would now be looking towards 
if it was something critical, but you know, towards some of the last of the initial flyaway races, but more likely looking towards the Spanish Grand Prix package, um, which will still be in the wind tunnel, still be getting signed off by the team ready for um, going into production. Because obviously, Spain isn't that far away now um, in terms of production timescales to get the big bits and pieces done. Um, it's probably a bit early for Honda to make any changes to the power unit. It's a bit early in its cycle, really, isn't it? Because it'll have to last, yeah. you know, to probably Canada before you would uh, want to do um, a power unit change. But again, you know, that it really depends where their problems are. Is it something big and fundamental in, in the, you know, the structural parts of the engine and the packaging that you can't change? Or is it just in, you know, things like the wiring units, the airbox um, ducting, stuff like that, that you can change without it being part of the um, you know, engine life cycle? Um, so, you know, there's a for them to do a, a bits and pieces under the skin um, fairly rapidly if, if they feel that that's necessary. But um, again, you know, we've not really been given any clues as to what these problems are. So um, we'll just keep an eye on that. And it'd be nice to see the car without its bodywork at Melbourne just to start to understand how this has all been put together. Because from what I can see on the Toro, the Toro is very similar to the packaging we saw um, last season. Um, one, one thing that did, um, did catch a lot of people out was Mercedes. The switch in everything on the car from week one to week two. It was essentially a B-spec. It was, yeah, um, <laughs> just completely rewritten everything to um, bring out for the second week. Um, is that, that, that's not usual, putting that, mu- that many new parts on the car all at once. So was the car for the first week more of a token effort, do you think? And what we saw in the second yeah. week of testing was closer to the th- what we're actually going to see competing. Well, I mean, I think, yeah, I think Mercedes, to be fair to Mercedes, they have had a record of bringing, you know, lots of big changes to the car late on in testing. Um, you know, there's always been a point everyone's been going, oh, they're going to have a new nose tomorrow, they're going to have this change tomorrow. And, you know, we have seen some fairly big sort of chunky changes um, through testing. And this year didn't seem to be an exception. But I think, as you say, they've gone a bit more radical. And as I said before, it's, you know, the teams will sign off the initial testing aero package very early in order to get that into production so that it's not the production of that bodywork isn't interrupting all the other millions of bits and pieces that need to be made for the car in the run up to the first test. So that's just kind of a bit of good housekeeping. And again, you know, the first test, it's it's very much for testing the, the car's systems. It's not about necessarily about performance no. uh, and lap times. You know, there is an aspect of tyre testing going on there. But again, you know, the teams are able to simulate the cars so well um, uh, on their um, software that they know that, the aero package that they've got and that they'll be going to, they know what the change in step will be. So, you know, there's lots that they can predict still from a test with, um, you know, a slightly non-relevant aero package. But um, contrary to uh, lots of reports during the first week and even reports after the, uh, as you say, that B-spec level uh, package was introduced at the second test, that was always going to be the case. It wasn't a reaction. It wasn't, oh, my God, we're really slow at the first test. We've got dreadful high-speed understeer. (laughs) Um, You know, we've got to change our philosophy on the car completely, which is a lot of people were talking about. There's obviously complete nonsense. Um, and yeah, they said so they would have all, they always plan to bring the, uh, you know, the big 2019 package, uh, to the second test, which, you know, it's not unusual for them. Um, and that does mean that they get slightly less track time playing with that, but, um, you know, 
I, I'm not unduly concerned by you know their performance during testing. We know that Mercedes were able to engineer a, a, a bad car or at least a sensitive car or you know a diva or whatever you want to call it um, very well through the year. That one of the, the great things that Mercedes have got and perhaps Ferrari haven't had is this in-season development. Um, so even if they do start with a, you know, a very good, perhaps even if it's the best car out there, you know, sometimes, you know, that setup is what they've struggled with, the tyres that they've struggled with, uh, and they've just worked through those problems and, you know, come back to win championships. So I don't see that there's any major difference this year in Ferrari and Mercedes where they are relevant to each other going into the first race. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Ferrari go out and win the first race because I think Melbourne is a much a circuit much better suited to the Ferrari. Um, it depends, depends very much on the weather and the tyres and bits and pieces. But, um, you know, I think Mercedes will very soon come back very strong. Um, they'll find the balance in the car. They'll find the setup over those first few races. And we'll hopefully have a, a really strong championship throughout all of the races through to the back end of the year, which I think, yeah, I think it is December it finishes this year, isn't it? Yes, I think it, it is, yeah. Slightly rolls over um, into the start of December, which is a shocking thought uh, already. Um so, yeah, so, I mean, I think um, a lot of people are getting quite panicky. You know, I think the, uh, the Mercedes haters are kind of jumping on this. The, uh, the Mercedes fans are, you know, getting a bit worried and a bit and a bit being a bit over defensive. But really, this is just the usual ebb and flow of car development through testing in the uh, first races. I mean, the tyres do seem to be a, a little bit more of the great unknown this year. Lewis Hamilton was saying that um, the car would have worked better on last year's spec tyres rather Ooh. than this year's, but, well, that, that's that's not going to happen. They're all on the same boat, aren't they, really? Yeah, ev- everyone's got the uh, got the same tyres to choose from, so... Exactly. I think, I think someone's always going to complain about the tyres, um, even if for, you know, uh, nine of the ten teams, they work fantastically. The tenth team will always moan, um, particularly at the sharp end of the grid. But I think what Pirelli have done this year is, you know, is going the right sort of direction. They're trying to... Um, you know, play about with the um, operating temperatures to make them a bit more consistent for the teams to, to aim for. There's a bigger gap between the compound performance, which should mean that we get people playing about with strategy a bit more, which really kind of killed a lot of the races last year that I think pretty much every race, the quickest option or the quickest two options was normally uh, a one stop, which you know really doesn't give you a, ch- a chance to do anything with strategy. Um, and you know they 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 know that these cars are going to be quick this year already. If you look at the you know the pole time and the the quickest of the testing times, yeah, you know these cars are, are as quick. They run a lot more drag. They're a lot slower on the straight, which means they're going even quicker through the corners, um, which is a shocking thought. And last year's tyres were struggling um, through the corners. You know we saw back end of the year when all the teams really got into their stride, lots of blistering. So these you know thin tread narrow. Uh, thin gauge tyres really should allow you know, some slightly better racing but um, equally you can't go out and abuse them in you know, the first few laps of a stint, you know, there's still some tyre management to go on there and you know, I think you know, it is part of Formula 1 that the drivers need to manage their tyres um, and the tyres need to cope with everyone from you know, Mercedes that go flying around the corner at 5G and uh, you know, sad to say, teams at the back of the grid that are, you know, almost two seconds off the pace, you know, Pirelli are supplying tyres for 10 teams, not just, uh, you know, one driver or one team. Do you think we're looking at a two-horse race 
for the title between Ferrari and Mercedes again? Or do you think somebody else can muscle in and, and join in with the fight? I think, uh, given the length of the season, I think it would be a two-horse race. Um, and that's not um, to denigrate Red Bull, because I think Red Bull are going to be very competitive. They'll win races. You know, they'll be sitting pole laps. But... I just think over the you know the length of the season that we've got that the the Honda package will let them down slightly. Um, you know I think there will be some unreliability there as Honda, you know because Honda are still trying to push to get to the performance level of Ferrari and Mercedes. Now you either do that on track through the season and suffer the reliability, or you wait a whole year have reliability, but you have to wait for the you know the winter break to get some performance. So, you know, I think that will hamper their um, that championship challenge, which, which I think is a shame. But I think we'll have some great racing as a result of it, though, um, because when, when, you know, when they're on form and when, when the engine's holding together, um, I think Red Bull are going to be right in there on pace um, at the majority of races. And I think what's quite interesting is the, the midfield. I don't think they've closed the gap, but I think the midfield are now, you know, sort of the Renaults, the Haases. Uh, even, you know, sort of Toro Rosso and um, potentially even McLaren, you know, could be there to pressure those teams. And, you know, it, it will be hard to get podiums for those sort of midfield teams. But I think that could be possible this year um, because I think, you know, the grid is, is squeezed up a little bit. But um, I think we'll have to see quite how that shakes out over the first few races. And is there any clear any clear pecking order in the uh, midfield now? Because... From what I was seeing, it looked like there's possibly one team that's definitely at the back and then three teams at the front. And the middle, you, is there anything between them? No, I mean, I really don't think there is. Um, and again, I think that will ebb and flow through the year. It will depend on the circuit, depending on the weather and the tyres, much like we had last year. You know, the first half of the season, I don't think any of us could really pick out who was the best team in the midfield. I mean, you know, obviously Haas lost some uh, race results early on in the season because of the pit stop problems, but they were looking really strong and that would have you know, changed their season. You know, Force India had their problems. You know, Renault had their reliability issues. And I think that's going to be the same this year. I mean, I don't think testing really has given us a very clear view of, you know, that midfield pack other than, you know, I'm glad to say McLaren seemed to have kind of rejoined it a bit from some of slowly drifting backwards last year. And, uh, you know, as you say, you know, it's, it's terrible to see, you know, Williams kind of languishing at the back. But um, I'm not quite sure what their route back to the midfield really is. Um, you know, uh, yeah, they're already on the back foot at the beginning of testing. By the end of the testing, they hadn't seemed to improved. And, you know, it's just a worry for any Formula One fan to see a team like that really, you know, sort of unable to get their act together. I mean that that was that was the thing that we noticed with Williams. There wasn't a there wasn't one specific thing that they were getting wrong. It was just problems in every department. You know, the the car was late being manufactured. Towards the end of the second week, they had to cut short running because they were running low on spares. Um, it's 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 one of the sorriest things to see. And you know, having followed Williams for as long as I have, and I'm sure the rest of us feel the same. Yeah, absolutely. no, I mean. I'd- I don't think anyone likes to see a Formula One team struggling. You know, even the the minnows that came in in 2010 was it? Yeah. You know, I yeah. think we all kind of rooted for the uh, the back markers to kind of get in there and you know get some results in. No one likes to see a, a team struggle, let alone a team like Williams. And uh, you know, I, I raise the point every time I talk about them. You know, it's Williams Grand Prix 
engineering and it's the engineering that are letting the team down um, as the the symptom, shall we say. But I think the cause isn't necessarily Paddy Lowe or the you know the engineers. I think there's there's much more deep seated problems at Williams um, than you know, you know the, the, the techies that they have there. And I think they've got a problem with you know their long term planning, with the budget, with the management direction. And uh, you know I think the team really does need a a serious kick up the backside and potentially even a restructure um, in order to get it to where it needs to be, which is, you know, at least, you know, amongst the rest of the midfield, um, you, know, you know, always someone has to come 10th in the Constructors' Championship out of 10 teams. You know, it's, yeah. you know, it's an unavoidable fact. But I think if you've, you've had a competitive year and you end up 10th, then, you know, that's, you know, it's just how the, you know, the dice rolls. But if you've had a uncompetitive year, you know, and you're always at the back of the grid, and you're always at the, you know, the at last in the race. Then, you know, I think that's that, that's a really bad thing, and I, I just don't get this feeling that Williams have that motivation to have that big shake-up that they, I feel, desperately need in order to um, find some level of recovery. And I think this year has just been symptomatic of what we've seen over a number of seasons with Williams, really. Well, we've been saying for the last few months, bring Patrick Head back because they all need shouting at, and nobody does it like him. <laughs> yes, um, I, 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 I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think there, you know, that there is, um, I think, possibly the only person that probably could do this now, given um, uh, Frank Williams' uh, you know state of health, uh, probably would be Patrick coming, and I think he would be epic in that role. And if we could ever get a documentary about that, I think I would love to watch it. <laughs> um, it, might be, it might be tough viewing. <laughs> um, at various points, but yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly what they need. I think there really is, you know, is some serious sort of kicking up the backside that's needed there to uh, get the team uh, back in. And as much as I say it's Patrick Head again, I'm not pointing at the engineering side of the team here. I don't think that's where the you know the fundamental problem lies. But I think yeah, something does need to be done there now. Yeah, definitely. Um, we touched on the Sauber Alfa Romeo wing and nose earlier um that that seems to be massively different to everybody else and is is this a gamble that could well pay off for uh, for them and obviously for ferrari as well with um having a slightly different arrangement of the um of the front wing planes because it seems to be very very loaded on the nose side rather than the uh, than the end plates and it just came as a came as a little bit of a surprise to see such a radical change compared to everyone it was else. i mean um you know i think we all saw those those um uh, spy pictures as as alfa romeo tested in that valentine's livery which i wish was still on the car why why are testing liveries always better than the red, real red thing? bulls are always better as well red <laughs> bull are another one that do this mm. it's it, it's it's a ridiculous situation that you know all of the i mean you look at all of the liveries um there's only a couple of exceptions i would say on the grid uh, but the majority of them are absolutely dreadful. And uh, if they can produce a test delivery that's stunning, then <laughs> race with it, for God's sake. Um, but, yeah, I mean, talking about that front wing, I mean, I saw those pictures and I was initially confused because I wasn't sure, as everyone else thought, as maybe there's just some bits haven't been fitted yet. But when you actually then went and looked at it, uh, and then I sort of thought about it from the technical point of view, um, it's not an idea. I mean, my sketch pads were, was full of front wing ideas and tricks and things to recreate the performance lost from the uh, 2018 wings. And that one didn't come up in my book, even though I perhaps in retrospect now I was given a, a little tip off about it without realizing. Um, 
And but I, what I would say it is it's not a gamble. I mean, this isn't. It's a radical looking front wing, but it's not um, something that is uh, you know like some some sort of big concept idea. Something sometimes come up with that's a big risk and kind of they've invested everything in it this is something that's quite straightforward to model and to understand in cfd and in the wind tunnel and obviously the as we saw from testing uh, for ferrari at least um that that concept wing works and i think what it is it's it, it's it why it's hard for us all to understand why would that wing work is because we've all been kind of brainwashed over a number of years, seeing these huge, complicated front wings that we saw kind of reaching their peak at the end of last year, was that was all about downforce, but it, you know, it wasn't. And as much as you know, I've witted on endlessly over the past few seasons about outwash and tyre wake management, the majority of the front wing design that we've seen uh, is all about airflow management, and particularly about you know the, the turbulence that comes off of the front tyre and stopping that hit in the back of the car, so that when you have all of the bits taken off it and you can't use those tricks, then you can basically kind of cut off the bit of the wing that was doing that job. And that's what Salba Ferrari and to, uh, to an extent sort of Toro or so have, have done because all of that bit of wing in front of the front tire, front tire is only there to push airflow out around the front tire. So by getting rid of that, it allows the end plate to be opened up slightly differently and it also allows the, the airflow that comes off the tip of the wing as, as low as it is to actually better manage the airflow off of the front tire. I'm just and, ju- um, just looking at a picture of um, the Sauber front wing here. Do you think they took any inspiration from uh, Chase Carey's moustache? <laughs> <laughs> uh, if it means that I think you'd have to suggest that the, their nose design therefore uh, suggests that Chase Carey should have three nostrils. But um, <laughs> yes, you know, may, maybe, you know, it always helps to have the uh, the rights holder on your side, as we've known through the Bernie years. If yeah. he's your mate, then, yeah. you know, all sorts of things can happen for you. Um, <laughs> yes, it's, yeah, it, it is very odd to look at, isn't it? And um, does that change the whole... Look at the other, so, sorry, Craig. Does, no, go on. Does, does that change the whole philosophy of how Alpha Sauber have done their um, their their aero package, though? Because if they've do, if they've done their new regulation front wing like this, and nobody else has really left that massive gap at the end of the wings, that changes the way the air flows over the whole car. Because the front wing is where the air hits it first, clearly. Um, but it, you know that that's not going to be. That's not going to be like an easy fix if they realise they've gone the wrong way, is it? So, are they going to have they looked at certain circuits and thought, well, we can capitalise on you know high speed corners, for example, or you know, there's just one area where they're hoping they can capitalise and, and and you know score bigger points than than the rest of the midfield. Yeah, I I don't think that they would change that wing concept massively between you know Monaco to Monza. Yeah. Any more than teams would normally change their concept between those races. Um, again, a lot of people, again, you look at it and you think, well, the wing's not big enough to create the downforce it needs. But it can because it's the bit that goes from the front tyre inwards that creates the downforce, not the bit on the outside. So, you know, it's, you know, it, it works for, from a downforce point of view. Uh, and the other thing, and again, a lot of people were talking about teams reacting to that now and going and trying that direction. The good thing about that concept from 
Sauber's point of view and um, probably works against them from I can say I've, I've used the word Sauber I'm not going to start saying Alfa Romeo I've just <laughs> I've got it stuck in my head now um, is that because that's the outboard section of the front wing and yes you know any aero designer for a car ends up being very holistic um, but that is an area where you can play about with much more because it's not affecting the airflow directly over the rest of the you know the, kind of the central bodywork you know the chassis right large boards the side pods to the rear wing and diffuser because all of the flow from that aspect of the front wing goes out around the front tire and ideally should go out around the outside of the rear tire as well so it's it it's a, a bit more modular than maybe other aspects of aero to change um not to say that it's not a, you know, a straightforward job um but other teams could relatively quickly catch up and if Sauber or anyone you know Ferrari Toro Rosso felt that that wasn't working for them could go to another wing design you know much quicker than if they'd suddenly found something you know miraculous on the barge boards or the diffuser for example which is much more tied to the sort of the central flow um down the middle of the car and Toto will said it take Mercedes four months to do it so we think that's two in real terms yeah, I think I've perhaps been pulled in a little bit by Toto Wolff's words saying that they, they, if Mercedes decided that was the right way to go, they'd have to change the whole yeah. design of their car. Sandbagging yeah. with development times. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, I think you know, you think you always have to take anything Toto Wolff says with a with a big piece, or particularly on the technical things. Um, yeah, I mean, I think if a team wanted to do it, they could do it a lot quicker, and the benefit now. Um, is you know you you can get the CFD and the wind tunnel work done, but then you then have this massive lead time. If you think of the old front wings and the hundreds of components that they consisted of, the new front wings are much simpler to produce, which means they're much cheaper. So if Force India, for example, wanted to change to that style of front wing, once they've done the, the CFD and the aero work, then the manufacturing department could do it much quicker because there's less to to make yeah and it would be much cheaper therefore the team would be much more tempted to go down that route so you know they're they're i think they're the, the four month thing i think is, is stretching it you know i mean but i i think it, it could be done relatively quickly if a team thought that they would find a lot of performance in it but um you know with all of these sort of things it's a bit horses for courses if a team has worked through their development over the winter with a, a full width front wing, should we call it like, you know, the conventional style, um, then they probably won't find a huge amount of performance just by immediately changing to the sample one because I don't, it's just moving the airflow in slightly different ways. Um, and, you know, there's other aspects of the, the car's design that I think could be a bit more influential to sort of spend the time on. Yeah, some, something tells me that by the time we get to Europe, we're going to be seeing some um, new designs on a Friday morning and then uh, not seeing them again by Friday afternoon. Yeah, I mean, I think the teams have got a lot to throw at the cars this year. You know, they've lost a lot of um, performance from the, the front wing changes and it means that all of the influence is going to go onto you know, barge boards, uh, turning vanes and stuff around the front of the side pods and then the edge of the floor. So teams are going to really be throwing huge amounts of effort at little you know, wings, flaps, flicks, you know, little doodads all along the side of the car to try and get some performance back. Um, and, uh, yeah, and you know, that stuff's hard hard to model, hard to get right. Um, and, yeah, I think you, you some of the stuff, I don't think we'll even notice it's been there because there's just so much on the car now. Yeah. 
mean, if you sat down and tried to model that new the, the B spec Mercedes and pick out all of the different bits and you know trying to understand where they go uh, and catalog them. Um, well, by the time you get to Spain, it's like, oh, I can't remember if that bit was there or not. <laughs> you know, even with all of us pouring over them race by race with the photographs and you know, looking at them in the pit lane, um, you know, it's, it's going to get really complicated. And uh, unfortunately, with the way the regulation cycle is going, we've now got this season and next season of barge board development. And if you look at the Mercedes now, think of where they're going to get in two years time i mean it, it kind of beggars belief it really does i mean that, that's one that's one thing i was going to going to ask you about because i mean when we saw the um, the a-spec mercedes just just the basic vanilla one at the launch there was a hell of a lot going on around the uh, around the barge boards in front of the side pods <laughs> I, th- I think that that prompted a sort of two-hour conversation on our uh, on our chat group between uh, between mm. the four of us yeah it did um <laughs> The cars that are launched and the cars that make the first race are seldom the same car, aren't they? So, yeah. yeah I, mean, no, that... I think that's true. It's true enough. I mean, I think in terms of little add-ons, it's teams. As I said, you know, will will race with the initial spec and then update that. You know, um, I always got a lot of criticism of when my analysis of the cars when they're launched. Oh, but it will change at Melbourne. It's yeah. like, well, yes, but there's bits of the car that don't change. You, you, ca- you can't simply change the front suspension geometry or the side prod uh, front geometry, you know, uh, between testing and the first race. Uh, and equally, just even seeing some of the testing formats of bodywork tells you a bit about what the teams are thinking about their aero. And obviously that then develops, as you say, you know, and I think Melbourne's going to be quite interesting this year. There's going to be a lot of, as I say, you know, kind of barge board and potentially front wing development appearing. Because I think a lot of people will have caught, kept some of their clever ideas. There's hopefully some of the stuff that was on my sketch pad and all of a sudden, you know, maybe I'm losing my touch that I've had over the winter. <laughs> um, there'll, be, you know, there'll be lots of little clever ideas that they'll be putting on the front wings, which are kind of cheeky interpretations of the regulations. And I think you know the front brake ducts are already an area where teams are, you know, really stretching yeah. the wording of the regulations. Re- realistically, what changes can teams make from test from what they learn in testing in time for the first race? Um, in terms of aero, there's very little they can do because of um, production timelines. I mean, they can they can make small changes to some of the modular aspects of the bodywork. So, you know, the front wing end plate would be an area, potentially some of the, the, the flap elements of the front wing would be an area where it's quite easy to change them relatively quickly. Um, you know, stick on bits for barge boards and the front of the side pods is, is another area where you can get stuff produced relatively quickly. But in terms of, you know, the sort of performance area and stuff, there's not a lot they can really do to react. Um what they can do is, you know, they'll have a huge job list of little bits and pieces under the skin that they uh, are picked up from testing, you know, things like cooling, vibration, um, getting access to things. So there'll be a lot of re-engineering under the skin that none of us ever really get to appreciate or know about that they will, you know, have on the job list, really. Um, but uh, as I say, most of the teams will already have a, a quite a different uh, set of bodywork signed off for, for Melbourne anyway. So I think they would be hoping that the delta they saw from their simulations between the old testing package and the Melbourne package will see them right when they get to that place. So going back to, to, to sort of the midfield runners, uh, Haas put in some fairly impressive times uh, during during testing. Um, 
is the but I, I can't see anything radically different on on, on the Hass either going from from last year's design to to this obviously apart from the paint colors paint's completely different color but the um is it just a case o- of other ever- other energy drinks are available absolutely yeah <laughs> is it just a case of uh, other you know evolution appears to be the the key here rather than radical design because even though there's been regulation changes nobody's gone for apart from the alfa romeo which we were just talking about nobody's gone for anything like wow what is that you know po- people just pointing at things and thinking this is completely different that's the only thing i can think of really is that front wing but yet you've got teams who do evolution the fins on the top of the uh, nose and chassis on the sauber as well uh, yeah. was another oh i forgot that area was there uh, I think yeah, it's an area that people have played with, and I think Merck have got a few bits there as well. Yeah, I mean, I think with the regulations now, it's so much harder to come out with something that is um, radically different because you've own, you've got all these boxes, and everyone's been exploiting these same kind of boxes for bodywork for a number of years. So it has to be about evolution. And uh, you know, as you say, the Haas uh, doesn't look uh, outwardly. Um, you know, a, a very different car to uh, any other one, really. I mean, as I say, you've got this kind of um, copycat approach for the majority of the aspects of each of the cars design with the side pods and the barge boards and that. Haas got slightly different front wing end plate, which was quite interesting. But again, nothing kind of radical. It's like, oh, my God, everyone has to copy this. Um, but again, I think like we saw last year to some extent, Haas were able to kind of... Um, kickstart their season because of their approach to how they produce the car so they spent the winter looking at the aero and doing all their simulations on how to get the suspension working and everything uh, rather than worrying about having a huge team designing every piece of the car because they buy big chunks of that in from ferrari so you know it's it's a good way to get going quickly for Haas and it really worked for them last year, even though their operation obviously let them down at some of those first races, um, you know, uh, in terms of pit stops and driver errors, what have you. But, um, you know, the problem then comes is later in the year is that there's things that they can't develop um, because of their, you know, parts being delivered from Ferrari. So they tend to kind of run out of um, some development through the year, but certainly the performance um, surprised me. In some respects, I mean, at some points they were looking very, very quick. And you look at some of the corrected times. I think uh, Karen Chandock's done some fantastic um, analysis uh, on the lap times, and you know, Haas are looking really strong. So we would hope that you know, those first flyaway races, they can really get some some results in to kind of uh, get their season going. While uh, you know, their uh, obvious rivals were still kind of sorting through every aspect of the car, which is you know, clearly the job that they don't have to do. Um, and then they can you know, can work on other other areas of the car's aero as the, as the season goes on to try and keep performance in there. I mean, the th- the thing with Haas with their with their NASCAR background is they've specialised for several years in making a car that takes corners quickly and sticks to the ground because that is one of the main aspects of NASCAR. And I'm pretty sure they've carried a lot of that sort of ethos over into the way they've designed the Formula One car. So I did notice their cornering speeds seem to be a lot. Um, a lot quicker and the car looked a lot more stable going through the faster corners and I, d- I don't know if I'm you, m- you might have to pull, pull me up if I'm completely off the mark on this but it just looked like they'd taken some of what they do in NASCAR and sort of replicated it in Formula 1 just with the suck the car onto the tarmac 
side of things? Um, I'm trying to think if I agree or disagree with that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a fair point that they that they are able to, obviously you say with their NASCAR experience and with you know the size and shape of team they are, they can work so much more on the setup of the car and you know how they want the car to work uh, and get the simulations working for them um, much more because they can focus on that much more as a primary objective than other aspects of you know engineering the car. Um, you know, historically, they seem to have gone really poorly at high downforce circuits, but that's very much an aero thing. Um, but um, you know, they, I think it's it's arguable that you know they they certainly had a grip on the on the tyres, um, and you know they they run quite a bit of drag because they were the team that were really complaining about the fuel levels, and obviously that caught them out uh, towards the end of the year as well. So yeah, so I guess yeah, I think that probably does hold water that 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 theory, um, and uh, yeah, just goes to show there's diff- different ways you can tackle Formula One within the current regulations, and um, as much as Haas have their um, their critics, you know, I think that they've been doing a, a great job and uh, going to their fourth, what, fourth season now. Yeah, yeah. I think it'll be interesting to see how much they have matured, because I think last year's performance at the car kind of caught them, you know, with their pants down a little bit. Um, and I think this year, I think, you know, I spoke to uh, Gunther Steiner very briefly at the launch and he was sort of saying how the team have, you know, tried to kind of grow and mature and work out all those little errors that come into an operation when suddenly, you know, you have to get that pit stop right because you've got a podium riding on it and because everybody's looking at you, uh, um, uh, you know, from both uh, a performance and a legality uh, point of view. And it happens to every team as they go from being a kind of a, back marker midfielder to you know someone towards the uh, the front of the midfield that they're just under that much greater scrutiny and pressure and uh, i think that's the biggest test for them this year perhaps not even the uh, design of the car i'm just concerned that i got a fact right to do with nascar <laughs> <laughs> do, I, do, I, do i have to put a quid in the swear jar now i've mentioned it <laughs> <laughs> not at all not at all the um the the Renault doesn't is, is another car, Craig, that looks incredibly similar to last year's, but with this year's aero just stuck on to the front and the back of it. Um, even the 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 car that was testing sort of looked like the uh, the launch car, where you would have a twenty eighteen car with twenty nineteen aero stuck onto it. It's 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 very di- very difficult to discern anything from um from from the Renault from last year to this year. That's that's interesting because. I think the Renault is quite a deceptive car um, because you're right. At first glimpse, it does look because of the paint job and because of some of the, like the roll hoop um, sort of styling, it does make it look very similar. It's actually a, almost a completely different car. This is the the step I've been waiting Renault uh, to make for uh, a few years since they came back into the sport. Because when you actually looked at the car last year under the skin, you saw loads of bits and pieces that have been on the car for a few years now, and it's like. You know, that's not really kind of cutting edge. And they had the old side pod format and, you know, aspects of the suspension and the way they've laid all of the cooling and stuff out. It's in some respects, I think the Renault is one of the biggest changed cars out there. So I'm sorry if I, I kind of got across your comments, but I think no, I'm not kind at all. of. It's, it's, a, it's a visual thing, and I, I agree with you. It took me a little while to kind of read through the Renault before I wrote my analysis of it. Um, and yes, I mean, it looks like a quick car. I mean, they've made a lot of changes, but you know, immediately, you know, it had uh, one lap pace. It seemed to be running very well. I don't think, didn't notice any particular 
reliability issues with the uh, with the factory car either. And you know, you're hearing the uh, the sort of the, the French side of the Renault operation, the very side saying that they've made a big step with the engine over the winter, which again has always been a bit of a, a weak point of the commitment of Renault to Formula One uh, over the years and really putting in some you know, serious uh, hard work into to getting that engine up to the spec of um, Ferrari and Mercedes. And again, I still don't think they're there yet, but I, I think we're now starting to see uh, you know, they're underlining the work they're doing is, you know, there's that commitment now to try and get up to the, you know, the very top performance of the thing, of the uh, sport. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the Renault Haas battle could be really interesting because they really had the kind of the knives out for each other at the back end of last year. Yeah. And uh, I, can't, I can't see that going away, um, which, which should be fascinating. I think it would be interesting to see which teams are there to kind of join them as the, uh, the, you know, the obvious favourites in that area. But uh, again, you know, I think... Yeah, We've all had a soft spot for the for the Enstone team over its various guises over the years, and again, it's nice to see them now, kind of, you know, really securing that sort of spot at the front of the midfield, and hopefully, you know, nipping at the heels of the uh, the top three as well. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing from a sort of particular Renault point of view, they're going to want to try and get one over on Red Bull, just because of where Red Bull have gone now. And where Danny Ricardo, and where Danny Ricardo's gone as well. <laughs> I, I mean, I think I think that will be interesting. I I, I wonder how um, vocal that kind of um, competitive edge between them will become. But um, you could see the situation if one, yeah, certainly if the you know the Renault chassis and package end up being really good, and the Red Bull coping with you know perhaps the tire changes the aero reg changes or even you know the honda power unit not being as reliable or up to par as we uh you know think it may be um then then renault could get very close in the championship you know certainly one of the sing you know one of their drivers could up um one of the rebel drivers in the championship you know that that's entirely possible um, you know, so close and so so finely balanced is you know the, the the length of the championship this year. So yeah, I think that'd be quite interesting. And you know, I'd love to see Christian Horner start to bitch quite early in the season. About, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, they've done something we know you didn't like about. Oh, it's illegal! Yeah. It's illegal! Something's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. gave us an engine like that when we were their customer. Yeah, there's going to be, yeah, there could be some interesting needle there. Um, I hadn't actually thought of it in that respect, but uh, yeah, I think they could be quite fun. Yeah, yeah. Red, Red Bull launching new flavour sort of around about um, end of the summer break, sour grape. <laughs> <laughs> um, while, we're, while we're on the subject of sort of aero changes, the rear wing has had a massive change this year with the new DRS slot. It looks vast. That's the only way to describe it, it. It does. I mean, the rear wing looks enormous um, and quite at odds with, I think, what you should be doing potentially with um, with um, Formula One cars. But um, yeah, um, it's. I think the DRS effect is going to be much greater this year, um, and that can have. That really depends on what the FIA do with the you know the DRS zones around the circuits because what we had the problem we had is a couple of races uh, last year and i can't remember which ones they are now so i apologize but the straights were just weren't long enough um for drs to have a, a clear effect that you could get alongside by the braking zone and that's all drs is trying to do drs isn't actually trying to get you to overtake the other car but merely get alongside before you both hit the brakes 
uh, and they, you know, the FIA, as much as you know, a lot of people are you know, quite critical of the FIA, the technical team do a lot of work to try and predict the DRS effect at each circuit and how long the DRS zone should be and where they should be on the track. Um, and hopefully with this more powerful DRF, DRS effect that you'll have with this huge rear wing with a huge gap that suddenly opens up in it, um, should mean that we get a bit more balance um, of you know sort of DRS passing um, throughout the year rather than just at, you know tracks that have got a huge long straight or you know back to back straights where you can double up DRS. So uh, we'll wait to see. Um, but it does then mean that the teams can then start to play a bit more with um, setup. And we saw this. I'm trying to which race it was. I think it might have been Baku where for the first time they had a double DRS zone. And uh, teams were then thinking, well, if we've got DRS on, on two parts of the straight, then we're just going to slap on huge amounts of downforce uh, and just wait to use DRS for overtaking, which then just means that the whole thing becomes really complicated and it screws up the tyre strategy as well and everyone really struggles to overtake the rest of the time. Um, so I'm hoping they've got the maths right on that one. But, um, you know, I, I like most people, I remain um, uh, n- no big fan of DRS and certainly of its unlimited use, you know, through the race and through the weekend. Yeah, it's it, it, it still got the sort of air of artificialness about it in a lot of well, cases. I think the is that if, you've got someone, if you've got someone hunting down another driver towards the end of the race and you think, well, this guy should be able to hold this other bloke off, but when you get a big DRS effect, it just becomes a, a null point at the end, doesn't it? You just know that car is going to go just swoop past the other one. Um, and they can have as many laps at trying that as they want until basically the race finishes. So, you know, again, I think the unlimited aspect of DRS rather than it's maybe more strategic use of it would be um, more interesting. You know, you only get like 10 uses of it at, during the race or over the race weekend or something. Uh, and when it's gone, it's gone. And I think that seems a slightly better way of doing things rather than just, you know, sitting behind someone for lap after lap until eventually you can, you know, you get everything hooked up and you overtake someone with the DRS. Well, it doesn't seem to now. It seemed to work well in GP3 for the last couple of years because they only get a limited amount during each race. Mm. And <laughs> it was it was more calculated when when it was being used. And it, it would be good to see Formula One bring that in. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know why that it seems to, fairly, to be a fairly simple regulation to bring in, but um, it never seems to get debated. Um, so it's you know, just one of those things within the great scheme of things that Formula One doesn't want to change. Yeah, sound, sounds about right. Um, back to specific cars now. What are your thoughts on this year's McLaren? Because we touched on it briefly, but we always end up talking about McLaren a lot on this podcast for some yeah, un- for I mean, some unknown reason. Got, I think we need to, we, we need to, there's need to be a, a bit of balance when when talking about the McLaren. And yeah, they've obviously had a number of terrible years, and I think last year was a really bad year for them because they couldn't use the engine as its sole excuse for performance. And I think that really kind of heightened uh, the problems. There's nowhere um, to hide. No. Um, but this year, you know, in design terms, um, which is, you know, when we first see the car test uh, launched, it's like, yes, okay, they've put a lot more thought into this car. We know there were some fundamental issues with the, uh, the car last year that they couldn't simply change. Um, so, again, it looks like a very well thought through car. It seems to have everything that you would want on it. Um, and we know that, you know, the Renault is improving. So, you know, that was kind of heartening. 
and then we got to testing and they were you know they had a pretty good test didn't they they had some pace um i don't think they're at the sharp end of the midfield but equally they're not languishing at the back with you know fundamental problems with the uh, power unit or with the handling so i think hopefully this is you know the first step back to mclaren to you know being a sort of competitive midfielder um but not necessarily you know the team that are going to be pushing the uh, at the heels of uh, rebel through the year um but you know there is that potential there and i think for the first time we're maybe starting to see the the technical operation at rebel start to stabilize a little bit because that has been somewhat ragged over the past few years you know we've got andreas seidel from the porsche lmp1 team who would be a, a, a superb person to have uh, running the operation there we know james key is going to come in there i'm not quite sure their job titles now um james, james key's a technical director isn't he i think when he when he starts just <laughs> interestingly again, enough I, he starts just after the first race <laughs> yes that that's that's that is often the case with uh, these contracts it's like yeah we'll get testing the first race out of the way then you're free because by then it's kind of too late everything's out anyway yeah um but James Key is one of those people that, you know, seen at all the, the, the teams he's gone to, that he's very quick to understand where the priorities are, um, what the targets for everyone should be. You know, he's not a designer in the Adrian Newey mold. He's not going to be sitting there, you know, drawing bits and pieces. Um, he's going to be the one saying, well, you know, the, the aim and the objective for your department in suspension is to, you know, X, Y, and Z, and the aero team is to get the sensitivity to this level, the downforce to this level. So he's very good at kind of getting that done in a very calm and considered way, which I think will work very well at McLaren because, um, you know, it's a very much a very thoughtful, I wouldn't call it laid back, but it's a, you know, a very quiet scientific kind of place and i think james key worked very well because it's very much his kind of style of management so um you know again things are starting to look a bit better uh for mclaren um uh, but you know that's always with the usual caveats that you know it could all go desperately wrong or maybe you know this is you know, just the start of a much bigger step that they'll, um, as we know, McLaren historically have always had great in-season development. If they start midfield, you know, the middle of the midfield, then by year end, could they be pushing towards the front of the midfield? You know, that, you know, that's plausible as well. So um, I think it's going to be probably more interesting than normal to watch McLaren this year um, rather than the kind of the flawed team that we've seen over the past few seasons. I think it's kind of the first. It's the first year of Zach Brown's ten-year plan, isn't it? Because he said it would, it would take them up to that long to be competitive again. Yeah, is it really? It's been in charge then. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going to say. It's, it's taken, taken three years to do a three ten years, and then say this is the first year of my plan. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a plan that I'm going to put into place in three years from now. <laughs> yeah, the last the last three years have been pre-planning the plan. Oh uh, right, got you. Yes. Yeah, you know, strategy meetings and steering groups and symposiums. Yeah, I mean, and I, Alonso. I, I am still some skeptical of some aspects of the McLaren operation, um, but I think on the technical side, I think that maybe is starting to bed down a little bit now. And let's hope that you know these new heads coming in don't you know create any um, interruption to the, the progress that they have been making over the winter without them. But. Again, I, I don't think that they're the personalities that would kind of be rocking the boat in that respect. Yeah, if, you, if you'd listened to the uh, show, I think it was three weeks ago, last, last time we were around here when I had my five-minute rant on the state of them and 
what they're doing and where where they're going wrong people wise. I think I got told to calm down at the end. Of that it. sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <clears throat> Sorry, Chris, you looked like you were about to say something. I was gonna say, um I know we, we, we quickly touched on the Williams sort of languishing around at the back a little bit. Is there anything you've seen on the car, Craig, or anything in the design of the of, of the car that that you in the very short time it was actually on the circuit? Where you thought, oh, hang on a second, that's a little bit primitive in comparison to to what the other teams are up to. I mean, I've got probably a little bit of humble pies to, to to eat in some respects because when they released the first renderings, which is when I sort of did my first analysis of all of the cars, um, the car looked pretty unexciting, to be honest. But when we saw the actual car, and normally these are the renderings that teams release at launch. I've got, you know, there, there's certain structural elements which are quite accurate because these are all based off of the, you know, the CAD of the car and they just simplify and hide bits and pieces. But the, the Williams one was actually a bit more of a smokescreen than, than they would normally be. And when I start to look at, you know, aspects of the uh, front suspension, of the barge boards, of the uh, uh, the other sort of features downstream of the car, actually you think, look at the Williams and think, oh, wow, actually that's quite quite clever that's they've, they've really kind of taken another step here which is very much what i said about the um car when i saw it last season it's like well actually it looks like it's a big step forwards they've made lots of changes it's lots of things that other people are doing you know they're not upsetting the apple cart but they're going with known good solutions and very clever interpretations of them so i mean if you painted the you know the, that williams white and i mean it would be difficult uh, just not to put that blue on it, I think it might be easier to say. Um, <laughs> and you looked at that and you think, oh, actually, that's a really good car. So there's nothing on it that would be a red flag to say, well, you know, that's a risk, that's not a good idea, or, you know, they just really haven't put the, you know, pushed very hard on this one. I think they have pushed very hard. Um, but again, as I say, they did that last year, and it sometimes. You know, it, it, again, it's the visual thing. You, you can see that they've made lots of changes, but it's the actual detail implementation of them that was the problem. And that was the issue for them last year with the, the front wing and how it affected the floor and how the, the undercut and side pods was working, the rest of the car. Um, so you would hope that Williams have learned the lessons from last year, that they've got that kind of correlation aspect of the car design right. And all of these new features on the car that they've put on for this year will work as they expected them to. But, um, you know, they were running that car in testing and it was it was way off the pace, um, even from, you know, their nearest rivals, which is, is a worry, even with, you know, a very late start to the year for them. So, again, you know, you sit there slightly scratching your head. They've got the Mercedes powertrain there. You know, they've got Paddy Lowe. They've got um, a huge engineering operation, a very successful engineering consultancy they've got a car that clearly looks like it's got the right bits on it where the hell is it going wrong yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I i can't put my finger on it and um I, hopefully someone in williams can put their finger on it and, and rectify that i mean kibitza was saying this week that um he's concerned about the reliability because over the whole of testing he didn't get a longer running than 15 laps yeah and that's that's kind of disconcerting you know they're gonna they're gonna have to do a lot of long runs in um, three practice sessions in Australia just just to effectively have another shakedown for it from the sounds of, from yeah, the sounds I mean, of what I, he was saying. I, I think you know Australia is going to be a baptism of fire, and I think think um, 
you know, there, there was some talk I noticed on, on social media today about what the potential weather may be out there, which which may not be all dry. And I know we've had lots of wet sessions in Melbourne uh, in the past, um, uh, which would be really bad for Williams for their first race. Um, yeah, and again, you you, you kind of wonder where the, the reliability is because they've run that engine package since 2014. You know, the Mercedes is a reliable unit. Um, you know, where, where, where are these problems creeping in? Um, you know, they, they really, they should be really mature in that aspect of the car design and they should just be able to just go out, even if they're slower, just, you know, bang in race distance after race distance. It just wasn't happening for them, was it? And, uh, I don't, and I, again, I don't entirely understand where, where the problem lies. It's good. It's going to be an interesting one to find out in a couple of weeks. Uh, I don't think we've mentioned well, racing for Cindy point racing. Yeah, because we can't remember what they're called. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't think we've talked, talked about them too much, apart from the names. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're an interesting one this year, aren't they? I mean, we had, um, it was around Silverstone last year that we had the change of ownership where the, the Strolls, uh, where they went into receivership or administra- administration, I've got to get the term right, and the Strolls then kind of somehow snuck in above everyone else trying to buy Force India and bought them. Um, and there was this sort of shake-up with Otmar uh, Zaffanau sort of taking the uh, the lead of the team very much over um, VJ. Um, and there was all this talk about we're going to invest huge amounts of money and uh, we're going to get everything right, and they had a pretty good end to the season. I mean, they had that big aero update, which the car was clearly desperately needing. And, uh, you know, I think if you added their, all of their points up, you know, they had ended up having a pretty good year again. I think, um, they'd, think they would have come forth with... Both sets of points. Yeah, I think they were, yeah. I can't remember. It's been a while since I looked at the maths, but they would have been there or thereabouts, certainly. Um, and I think their race performances showed that as well. Um, but when they unveiled the car, it was quite confusing that Andy Green, their technical director, said, well, this is the 2018 chassis, the 2018 tub, that we've, we've modified to put a, a different side pod and front suspension on. And then I scratch my head and think, well, hold on. If they've had this money since Silverstone last year... Why are they running an old tub? Now, there's you know, lots of money saving and technical reasons why that wouldn't necessarily be a problem. But again, just makes me a bit confused as to what the hell is going on in a team that we've, you know, for years said if only they had the investment and the money to run a team, you know, and do the development through the year. And finally, I think we've got to a stage where we've got people that are throwing money at the team, but the first car is a kind of a, a B-spec Force India. Um, so I'm, I am confused. Um, that said, the car they've produced, apart from the colour scheme, um, which I think... Looks- is the worst I've seen in years. <laughs> it's very patchy. Um, and it reminds me of the old days of pre-qualifying teams um, where, you know, any any sponsor, you know, you, f- you will find space for the car for you. Um, Second Andrea murder uh, reference this week. <laughs> Um, but when you actually look at the car okay lots of the aero is just carryover stuff just to get them through testing there'll be a big package at melbourne and another big package very soon after but what they've done is they've changed a couple of very big aspects of the car so the front suspension they've copied what mercedes and toro rosso have done for the past few years and actually raised the front wishbones up uh, to the point where the top wishbone doesn't actually go into the wheel to meet the upright. The upright has to 
curve out of the, the wheel and the brake duct and come alongside the tyre sidewall in order to meet the top wishbone. This is an aerodynamic thing to get the wishbones higher up so that the front wing upwash doesn't hit the wishbones. Right. Um, and they've done that, which, you know, the front of the car basically is all about the loads that the suspension's going into. And they've changed that, but using the old tub. How do they do that? I, I mean, that's, a, that's some amazing patching work that they've done there. And then further back down the car, the Ferrari side pod style that they wanted to introduce last year but couldn't do because they only had the resources to re-engineer the monocoque to put the halo in, which, which puts huge loads into the chassis during that uh, load testing. Um, but again, they've changed to these um, Ferrari-style side pods, which means the side crash structures had to be changed. And again, they've done that, which is a structural change to the, the, the monocoque, which they've done by modifying the 2018 monocoque. And they've had to re-crash test all of this, obviously, to make it legal. And it's clearly passed them because the car was testing. But they've done all that work on an old tub. And it's like, well, you guys are really clever. I mean, this really, <laughs> you know, there's no team on the grid that knows how to, you know, do stuff on a budget quickly, get it done, get the car racing, then then the Silverstone-based team, um, Force India, Racing Point, Jordan, Midland, Spike, or whatever else. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we call the, the Renault and the Endstone team, and it gets a bit confusing if you call them the Silverstone team because it doesn't seem to quite doesn't seem unique enough for them. But um, you know, they really do, and you know, I'm hoping that the the investment that they are hopefully getting i mean i presume they're getting from the strolls and all of this um um sport pacer money or everyone else that's sponsoring them i'm that the engine's badged as a bwt mercedes which is quite interesting um that that means that the team can really develop through the year and you know honestly get back that fourth position in the championship but i think with the momentum of um haas and renault i think it's going to be quite hard for them this year um I don't think it's beyond them, but I think everything has to go their way. They have to get their race results in. And, uh, you know, that does kind of raise the spectre of um, uh, drivers uh, and also to an ex- extent um, tyre strategy, which are kind of the, the big thing for force injuries. They've always been very good with their tyre strategies. Um, so, yeah, you know, if they're going to want to get fourth in constructors, then, you know, Stroll is going to have to be getting those, those race finishes in every race you know, as high up as um, Perez is able to. And um, I think it's a test of his maturity, really, isn't it? I think we've seen he's not a great tyre manager either. He seems to have that problem switching some of the tyres on. Will that will that? Or he wasn't in the Williams. Not in the Williams, (laughs) he wasn't definitely not. Will will that be something that affects him a lot this year with these new new Pirelli compounds? I mean, it could do. Um, You know, I mean, we know that the, the old... Force India Perez trick is to go really easy on your tyres, really eke them out, especially on the um, you know, either running softer or harder and just <laughs> running the life out of them. It's been very much something that's brought their results, and it's very much something that Perez had a particular skill at. Um, Ocon had a slightly different sort of race strategy, which is why we often saw the drivers crossing over or uh, crossing into each other yeah. <laughs> um, uh, over recent rate, uh, recent seasons. Um, so I don't quite know where Strong will kind of fit into that. But um, I wonder if maybe the Force India race engineering setup may just be slightly better for, for uh, him to, to work within. 
and maybe he'll get a bit more coaching and a bit more, you know, because the team are kind of on top of this whole situation. And I thought West Williams always struggled a bit understanding the tyres. It's been a weak point of theirs, even going back to sort of 2014 and one of their better years. You would come out of a test session, you'd go and chat to Rob Smedley or you know someone from the team, and they go, "Yeah, tyres didn't really work as we expected them. We have to go and have a look at some analysis at that." Whereas Force India have just always seemed on top of the tyres, which is probably why they've had such great, such great results over recent seasons. Um, so if, if Stroll can inherit some of that wisdom and some of those strategies, then you know, maybe he can start to put in those race results that, um, you know, I mean, he's we've seen him. He's, he's, he has put a few good results in over his time at Williams, despite all of the challenges that they've had. So, um, you know, we'll give the guy a break and maybe it may work out better for him at... Uh, Racing point. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think it, I think he's got when it comes to time management, he's got a lot to learn from Perez, who could be one of the best teachers for him. I think he could, and uh, you know, I think um, you know, uh, Perez was making lots of noise about moving on to other teams last year. I think it's one of those odd situations, a bit like Vettel and the uh, exhaust blown Red Bulls. Um, it's just the right right driver in the right team with the right strategy it just all kind of comes together i think if he went to another team a bit like he did with his sojourn at um, mclaren it, it may not gel as well as it has done with him uh with uh, with that team over the years i mean another, another thing to look out for saying uh, false racing point I'm, I'm giving up trying to pin one name on them um is i mean obviously they've got the new investment in but they haven't got the new facilities and the new staff yet fully and I no. think I think that's when we're going to see the big changes. And that's that's the bit I'm looking forward to with that team when the, when they've actually got the infrastructure to mm. make the step up. And you say you know the, they've done what they've done this year um, with last year's car and yeah. managed to turn it round on a shoestring. And at the moment, I think they're still having to do that in that way because they don't have they don't have the bodies to do it and they don't have the buildings to put the bodies in. No, I mean, I, I think it will be very much a kind of a, a two-stage um, yeah, fight back, really. I think you will have, yes, they've got more money um, right now if you need it. Um, so if they want that front wing, they can say, right, you need this cash. Uh, we will, you know, get contractors in to do the design work and the, the aero work. We will farm out the composite and the machining uh, production to third parties um, you know, they, they can, if they've got the money, do some things much quicker than they could before. Um, but the full solution would be to have the bigger factory with, you know, the bigger facilities and everyone's always on hand, uh, which is the better way, obviously, of, 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 of developing a car. But, uh, you know, I think I think we could see you know the fruits of that through this year by seeing the, you know, the kind of the pace of their development. Hopefully we'll be seeing lots more bits going on that kind of through the year that we have. Um, yeah, struggled to see over recent years. Yeah, I think I think um, the midfield is looking particularly uh, particularly good this year, just with the steps that everyone's made and we're hoping mm-hmm. can make. Mm. Um, Chris, you were mentioning earlier something about mirrors. I think remember. Yeah, there's a, I've spotted on a couple of cars. I know it looks like, and I might be wrong. It looks like the the the, the new way of mounting the mirrors the sort of the, a lot of the teams if not all of them are now mounting them sort of just on the side pot with an arm going back to the cockpit but mounted pretty much on the side pods um but there's a couple of teams look like they've got uh like almost like winglets like vents almost in the mirrors mm-hmm. 
are they legal? Do they not count as winglets, which would technically be illegal? This this is a really uh, grey area. So th- the regulations did change over the winter. Um, that moved the mirrors further outboard. They also raised the rear wing upwards so the drivers could get a better rear view from behind or of behind. Um, and that's all good stuff because they actually did some testing and practice with that, as we saw with, um, I think, Vettel with the front. I think Hamilton as well did some stuff with mirrors. So you've got the rear view bit. And they've also tried to clamp down on the ridiculous situation that grew up last year where teams were having three or four different mountings for the mirror. And these mountings had nothing to do with the the structural load that that huge mirror pod exerts upon the racing car. But <laughs> they're all about, you know, we're going to make the excuse to put some aerodynamic bodywork and we'll just call it a wing mirror mount. So the FA sort of stepped in over the winter and said, OK, you can only have two mirror mounts. One can go on the inner lower side and one can go underneath the mirror, which is kind of where you mount the mirror anyway. Yeah. Um, so the obvious approach, as you, you said, most of the cars have the one that mounts towards the cockpit is a big flat fin, which has its own aerodynamic purpose. And then the vertical one under the mirror then again has a, a small aerodynamic purpose. But then you have people playing with what Ferrari were doing last year. Ferrari launched their car last year with these ducted mirrors yeah. um, where you have a hole in front of them. Um, so what you end up having is a mirror. If you, if you think of the what you would consider the mirror pod, that kind of wedge-shaped bit that the mirror attaches to, uh, you've kind of got one of them within another one of them. And this is where the rules start to get quite grey. Um, and that then mounts all together. And that has a great aerodynamic function to reduce drag and help you direct the airflow a little bit better. And I think some of the teams that have gone this way, are, I mean, Renault and Toro Rosso have gone from a fairly straightforward approach Williams have got a really odd approach that I haven't quite worked out. I've not had a close enough look at it yet. And Red Bull have gone really quite radical with describing the this pod outside of the normal mirror pod. But if you look at the regulations, it says, well, the mirror pod, the, the, the mirror bit that there, yeah. has to be mounted from side and below. But when you look at these ducted set- setups, the mirror in a mirror pod is mounted in not sometimes with three or four separate mounts above and below it. So I reckon if you were a team without that design and you got to Melbourne, I'd go and have a word with Charlie and go, that mirror has got four mountings and it's got extraneous um, bodywork. I'm trying to remember. There's a term, I forget the wording in the rules, but um, it's something along the lines of, you know, the mounts must be minimal. So you could actually say that the pod around the pod on the Red Bull, the Williams and that is actually yeah. not minimal mounting. It's actually something else. So again, depending on what clarifications the FIA have sent out, and sadly we don't get to see any um, copies of those, I reckon you could have a pretty strong case to actually protest them at Melbourne and just upset one of your neighbours. Um, <laughs> just, you know, just, just for the hell of it. Um, no team would do again, that, surely. It, yeah, they would. Uh, well, you know, it's all good fun, but I think it's one of these things. It, it, it would be a bit of a storm in a teacup. There's not massive amounts of performance in this. It's a very big visual thing. Um, you know, they could change them. They've probably got spares ready for this already in case there is any issue. But, you know, they could quite easily modify the mirror quite quickly um, and, uh, and race without them. So we'll, 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 we'll see. But um, it's it's odd that there is such a variation in something as as what's supposed to be mundane and benign as just a, you know, a rear view mirror. 
<laughs> but yeah. I guess that, that's, that's Formula One for you. <laughs> it is, it is, yeah. If you can gain an advantage from it, do it. And the, the other thing that I spotted, I think I think it was on the Toro Rosso, and there's another car that's got it as well, and I can't remember what the other car is. But the everybody's gone for the high-mounted side pods, but I've noticed the Toro Rosso has like um, like an under um, the side pod, like another inlet, like a really small, like close to the uh, body inlet. Yeah, is that, that is that aer- an aerodynamic thing or? Yeah, I think all that is is the, the smaller inlet lower down is just for the like the electronics within the side pods. It's not going down to the radiators and stuff, and that's right, just a okay. little bit. Of, it's just a little bit of packaging. It's not a performance thing. It's like well, we've got to have this much inlet area to cool the radiators and do this much to go down to the ECU and the power boxes and the ERS boxes that are inside the side pods. So, um, yeah, they just mount that in a slightly different position because um, I think – I'm pretty sure it was the Sauber had quite a big one. And at first I was a bit confused as to what was going on until, you know, again, we had some slightly better pictures. Yeah, I think that's uh, the other car, so isn't that, it? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, as you say, that, that high side pod design has been ad- ad- adopted by everybody now, apart from Mercedes, uh, rather oddly, um, despite changing their last year to try and make their one look like the uh, Ferrari side pod, but not actually changing the structure inside. <laughs> and, of course, Sean, you saw a big um, air resistance, well, possibly an air resistance thing in the um, Force India lollipop with the holes drilled in it. Yeah, that seemed a really strange one. There were some pictures of the, the, the pink car, um, doing a practice pit stop, and their their lollipop this year for some reason they appear to have like aero holes in that. I'm not quite sure what what they're going I, for I there. Say, I I haven't seen it. Um, <laughs> they're very deliberate uh, and very uniform and in a very symmetrical pattern. I don't know whether it's just an aesthetic thing, but it seems a an odd choice. Uh, I guess it could be weight saving. I uh, could. <laughs> For when the guy pulls it out of the way, that it has less air resistance. Um, I don't, you, you see teams play about with stuff like that around the pits quite a lot. Lots of the teams last year were playing with um, lollipops that actually had their own uh, hinge mounting, a bit like yeah, you have on the exit of a car park. And but although it was manually operated, which seemed really Formula One, it's like how, how, why would you do that? Um, I mean, I guess if there's holes in it, all it may be is just that maybe can the driver get a bit of a view between through it or something so they can see if there's a kind of leaving the pits from i don't know it seems it seems a bit odd <laughs> yeah it does seem I'll, odd. I'll, uh, I'll send you a link to the photo because yeah it's it's, it's a I'll, tough I'll have to have a look at that, yeah <laughs> or maybe that's it they're hoping everyone's going to be looking at it going oh what's that do we need to be spending our time doing something about that yeah, <laughs> yeah. just imagine someone like Ariza Bene last year would have been shouting at the, the ferrari factory drill some holes in it <laughs> But must have holes. Everyone else has got holes in their lollipop. <laughs> like the Adrian Newey technique of sticking um, sticking all the engineers on the grid around the back of the car so everyone concentrates on that without seeing all the developments they made on the front. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some, some of us have, 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 have walked through that one. We've, we've learnt that now. <laughs> if all the engineers are at the back, that means I can get more pictures at the front. So. <laughs> we'll be seeing a lot more grid security this year, mm. especially around the side pods. Well, I mean, fortunately, we may find the grid's a bit empty this year because there's so few TV companies covering things live, isn't there? Or um, with the budget to have people and camera crews wandering around the the, 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 the paddock and the pit lane and the, the grid, which uh, which is a bit of a worry for all of us. Yeah, um, I mean, the, the audiences are declining, of course, in, in the UK. We're behind the, uh, behind the Sky paywall now. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, is it time for Formula One to um, maybe look back at some of the deals that Bernie's made and go, actually, hang on a second, we'd rather have eyes on the sport than um, subscription fees, which are dropping every year? Well, exactly. I mean, I think this this may well be one of the things that Liberty have kind of run into and was the, you know, f- throughout the last few years of Bernie's era, there was always the question is, you know, someone's going to come in and take over. Um, and some lots of people wanted to buy the sport, but how many of them have actually stopped and looked at all of those deals that are in a filing cabinet somewhere? Um, <laughs> it's going to take a long time to unpick them. And, you know, it's been, you know, it's a huge job to actually change the, you know, the, the financial model for Formula One, and I don't think Liberty are making very quick moves to, to, to you know, kind of do that because you know you can't if you want a, a fan based sport you can't get people to pay for it um, through pay TV or subscription web services or from paying you know a hundred pound for a ticket to go to the event you know it's the money has to come from somewhere else um, and uh, I don't know what Liberty's plan for that is, but um, it, it, it needs to come sooner rather than later because nothing will kill a sport quicker if you haven't got eyes on it. And I think it could be quite drastic this year um, in the UK. Um, and I don't know what it's been like in other countries. I know that some of the, the um, coverage comes and goes a little bit. Yeah. Just how much it drops. Because I know the viewing figures for um, Sky F1 and for some of their specific shows are incredibly low. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, that is really worrying because that would reduce Formula One to, you know, uh, a, a real um, backwater of a sport, which really isn't where it should be. And it's kind of natural home, which is, you know, the UK and Europe. Yeah, and especially with um, what, what now appears to be six races under threat for next season, mm-hmm. uh, with Mexico mm-hmm. having missed the, uh, missed the date for the 2020 provisional calendar reserve date i can't remember the exact wording but it looks like that may not be happening and then um of course the five circuits whose contracts run out this year so well exactly all of them will be going into negotiations saying look we simply can't afford to spend all of this money to have these ticket prices to to operate a formula one event you know you're the rights holder you should be giving us some money to to host the event it shouldn't be the other way around but you know Liberty and Formula One as a commercial operation needs to have the money to do this somewhere. And I don't know where the rest of this cash is coming from. You know, it's it's very much outside my field of of knowledge. But even with my simplistic understanding of this situation, it's clear that something has to be done or else we will forever be, you know, losing the classic races and taking it off to countries where the government will want to invest to have Formula One seen to be in their country. Uh, for the few years that they have an interest in doing that, and then obviously they then drop out, and you have the situation as we have so often over the you know this past decade of, oh, do you remember when we used to race in this country? And do you remember the dreadful races we used to have in this country? Mm, South you know, Korea, <laughs> India. <laughs> well, I'm, I won't mention any specific countries, but uh, yeah, you know it, it. That's not the way. You know there needs to be a balance. We need to have the classic races, but equally we do need to be going to some new territories and trying different things. But it can't go too much towards um, new circuits at the expense of, you know, some of the classic uh, European and US races. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I'd rather see a race around Monza than around a new city centre street circuit. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be honest, I mean, I'm you know, I I, I don't mind 
street circuits. Uh, I think Formula One needs to have a few of them in the calendar because a lot of the races are the ones that are just kind of so dull on the, the Tilkadromes. Equally, I think we need a couple of really fast race tracks out there. Um, you know, if I had the budget to go and build a circuit somewhere, I would have some kind of Super Monza, Paul Ricard. It's, you know, 230 on the streets and very little else in between kind of uh, racing. Because uh, I think, you know, that, that that is another aspect of the one that's kind of been lost with the, you know, the sort of safety chicanes that we had during the 80s and 90s and emasculated some of the, you know, the classic circuits because, you know, you can't start chopping down trees and forests and things um, around, you know, a, a classic venue. Craig, you seem to have disappeared. Oh. Ah, you still there? Yeah, Hello? Yeah, yes, you we're still here. Yeah, you disappeared for a second. All right. All right. I thought it was you guys. <laughs> oh, the, the, the joys of Skype. Um, in fact, that's, that's, that's probably our systems telling us that um, we've taken up quite enough of your time. A considerable chunk of your evening, <laughs> Craig. <laughs> yes, thank you very much for that. Uh, where can we find you online this season? Because you have videos to share. Uh, yes, um, this year is, it's, it's a bit of a, a moving target a bit this year. Um, so the, the, the main place to keep an eye on for me is on Twitter, uh, at Scarbs Tech. Um, but I'm also doing work with um, motorsport.tech, which is the uh, Acronis-sponsored uh, technical uh, uh, portal, which is quite interesting. Nice. I'm doing some stuff with uh, racefans.net, the uh, big independent um, motorsport website, and still doing stuff with Peter Windsor as ever uh, on YouTube, uh, on the Race's Edge, and uh, a few other little things that are bubbling up as well. So, as I say, yeah, I think uh, follow me on Twitter and um, that'll be the uh, the key place where I'll let you know with where uh, bits and pieces are appearing. That's good. And hopefully uh, one or two more appearances on this podcast as well. Uh, um, definitely, yeah. I'd look forward to it. And uh, hopefully I'll get out to a few more races this year. Um, my first one this year is going to be Bar Rain, so I'm quite looking forward to that because I'm oh, hoping nice. for a very, very, very deserted pit lane and lots of cars lying unattended <laughs> for my uh, camera to uh, go and have a around. We'll have a look for the photos as soon as you get them. <laughs> <laughs> that's great thanks so much for joining us Craig thanks very much again guys thanks we'll thanks. thanks Craig thank you Craig always great to have Craig on the show always yeah. he knows so much so much more than us that's not hard <laughs> but he really does know a hell of a lot more than us um, time to see how much you three know not very oh, no. much I've got a shunt in front of me okay <laughs> Um, I want to thank Lucas Niven for sending this one through. Thank you, Lucas. Uh, thank Lucas, you. who listened to my appeal the other week to send me total shunts for weeks when Lee can't make it and forgets to forward them on to me. Which was this week. Which was this week. Despite so, Lee's um, protestations that he never forgets to forward them on. So if you want to send an emergency total shunt for when Lee's not here, send it to threelegsfourwheels at gmail.com and I will put it on the list. Yes. Like I did with this one from Lucas. You ready? Yeah. Mm. I was born... Good start. Correct. In 1976. So 43, what, 43 this, year. this year. Yes. Yes. Good. Second clue. My wife won Supermodel of the World in 1997 at age 14. What? what? So, so in what year, sorry? 1997. Okay. Aged 14, so she was born 83, 80, Supermodel 82, 83. of the World. Is an amazing title. Yeah. Aged 14, though. Come on. 
Supermodel Junior. Yeah. Third clue. Uh, between 1998 and 2001, I raced in all four editions of the Macau Grand Prix and the French F3 Championship, becoming two-time runner-up in the latter. So the French F3. So do we assume it is a French? Or a Macauian? Um, t- <laughs> well-known Macauians. And I will need a guess of you on this one. French drivers, if they were making it to Formula One roughly mid-2000s then. Someone like Frank Montagny. Does he have hot wife, do we know? No idea. <laughs> no idea. His hot wife was 14 in 1997. We don't know how it's gone exactly. for us since then. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a bit of a strange thing to put in yes. that, yeah. I was blonde in 1997. Well, so was I, but I still am now. So yeah, I'm not. Do? I can't remember 1997. If you um, can remember it, you weren't there. <laughs> <laughs> Should we go with uh, your Montagny? Franck Montagny. <laughs> okay. That is your first guess. Unless Dan's got a better one. No. No, that'll do okay. for now. That then. is your first guess. Clue four. Um, I was leading a world championship in 2017 until a crash in a test left me with serious injuries and ended my season. A world championship. A world championship. All right, so 2017... And I'm just trying to stop a cat from jumping yes. up onto a table that's got all the technology on it that's very precariously balanced. Two years ago. Two years ago. This is. There was a. Oh, what the fuck's his name? There was a guy in. I think it was like GT, who he had a crash and he got like a mega concussion and he he was out for months and I can't remember his name, but he'd be about the right kind of age. I'm not aware of this gentleman. No, but like properly, like really bad concussion. Next clue? Yep. I manage a current Formula E driver. Don't know who manages the drivers. Aside from when Nico Rosberg announces that he's managing people. I don't really follow the managers. Yes, but he wasn't born in 1976. He was not, no. Hmm. That pause was bought to you by my vape. Uh, next clue, and I will need a guess after this one. I was in Formula One with three iterations of the same team, but only raced for two of them. So, I mean, test the... driver or someone who ended up owning a team. Or um, somebody who was part of the Midland Spiker Jordan, Jordan thing. Someone like Christian Albers. I think he he was part of Midland and Spiker, wasn't he? Possibly. I'm not a great authority on uh, Christian Albers. And possibly a test driver when they when they were still Jordan, maybe. So, but he's Dutch, isn't he, Christian Albers? I, I would have thought he is Dutch. That yeah. does, but that doesn't mean he wouldn't have competed in in French. We, we've assumed F3. French because French F three, but I mean British F three have been announcing their drivers this week, and they're from all over the place. So. Yeah, yeah, and they it have does, a race in Spa. They do have a race. I think most of them have an international mm. race. Most of that lot. 
Albus? Christian Albus? Yeah, Christian Albus then, yeah. Okay, second guess Christian Albus. Right, next clue. A fellow countryman of mine was the reason the safety car was deployed at the start of Imola in 1994. A fellow countryman of mine. Start of Imola. Uh, the start of Imola was Pedro Lamy and JJ Leto had a massive accident on the um, start. Um, Pedro Lamy didn't get away, and I think JJ Leto smashed into the back of him or the other way around. Uh, yeah, that rings a bell. And safety cars brought out. So, this, what nationalities are we dealing with there? Uh, JJ Leto's Finnish. And uh, Pedro Lamy, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he is French. I have no idea. It's been Pedro, so... Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Next clue? Yes. Okay. I owned a team that competed in GP2 and GP3. I feel like I know less with every clue. Yeah. That's the Dunning-Kruger effect, isn't it? Yeah. If you say so. Yeah, I don't don't feel like we're zeroing in on no. so much. Isn't that what happens when, when an ambulance goes past? Is that? No, that's, that's Doppler the Doppler effect. effect. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, carry on, sorry. Um, okay, clue number 10. There is a spaffer after this one. Good. Go on. We will need it. But clue number 10 is I'm a top, time, top 10 all-time winner in world touring cars. And as I say, there is a Spaffer question after this. Well, as you can see, we, we're all just we're flowing with the blank. ideas on the yeah. world tour. It could have been yeah. world touring cars I was talking about when I meant G when I said GT when I was on about guy who hit his head whose name still does not come to me. Hello, Bruno. So I, have a I cat think on this my is. Lap. This is one where we're going to end up passing. You'll say the answer, and we're going to go, of course. Well, there is a spaffer. We're all going to go, who? Go on. <laughs> My only podium in Formula One was in arguably the most controversial race in history, which would so be the USGP. Yeah. Who was on the podium there? Two Ferraris and someone else. Was it? Um, oh, no, I can't remember. Um one of the Jordan drivers. Tiago Montero? Is that his name? Am I thinking of someone else? Yeah, it might be Tiago Montero. Might have been him that hit his head. Yeah, go with Montero. Yeah. yeah. I am someone else, ah. a a.k.a. Ah. Tiago Montero. Excellent. Is it him that had the concussion? In Con World Touring yes. Cars, yes. That you now, uh, that you now runs the team. Ah. Uh, Pedro Lamy is Portuguese. Portuguese. Yes. Tiago Montero is Portuguese. Yes. People who are Macauies. I would have guessed. Time. Yeah. I would have guessed that 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 Tiago Montero would have been Brazilian. If I'm perfectly honest. But, uh, no, Tiago Montero is Portuguese, and so is Lucas. That sent us the questions. Thank you very ah, much, Lucas. Thank you, thank you very much, yeah, Lucas. That, that was a good one. That, Got us really, didn't it? It did. Yeah. yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. That's a win for Lucas. I think. I think under the regulations, that's a half half point each. 
for getting it on the spaffer. I'm not entirely sure what Lee's new rules are, but they seem to change every week. Does Lee have rules? Yeah, apparently. I was not aware. He won't, I he thought won't, we were just doing He won't write them down in case somebody else finds them. Ah. Um, if you want to send in a total shunt, the usual way to do it is on a Twitter direct message to at a total shunt. That means but Lee will get that it. That means Lee will get it. But if you want one in reserve for weeks when Lee isn't here, stick it on an email to threelegsfourwheels at gmail.com and I'll be able to... Uh, I'll be able to hang on to that until. But don't send them to both because then you'll have the answers. No, do send them to both. <laughs> <laughs> Let's confuse Lee by sending them to both. <laughs> and then it looks like Paul knows everything from now onwards. <laughs> <laughs> or we could just get Sean Kelly back, who usually gets it by the word born. Yeah. <laughs> I was born. It's Frederick Francois Flavier. Like, okay, yeah, right, yeah, nice one, yeah. Um, right, before we do uh, before we do the final wrap-up of the Formula Lee season, um, as we're getting very close to the real F1 season, I think we'd better run a fantasy game. A real fantasy game? A real fantasy game. Rather a fantasy, than a... Ge- fantasy game, where you pick the people who you think are going to do best in the fantasy league. <laughs> <laughs> That's like train spotter spotting. Yes. Where when you're on a train and it goes through cl- crew, you lean out the window and take pictures of the people taking pictures of the train. I, it I found, really winds them up. I found a blog today that is specifically about predicting what the Rotten Tomato score is going to be of movies before they're released. Share that link. I, I can't. I'll, I'll try and find, refind it. Refind that link. Similar principle. But uh, yeah, this this year because um, they appear to have launched theirs and we've got a league set up. It's going to be on the official Formula One game, which I think is fantasy.formula1.com, something like that. It's available on the Formula One official website. Anyway. It is, and we've got a link to our league on our website at threelegsfourwheels.com under the game section. Um, join in, see how well you do. I think we're going to be running the prediction league during the season as well, though, aren't we? On the on our own side, on our yeah. own, yeah, for our yes. for our top threes. Did, did anyone see Lando Norris's fantasy Formula One team? It was just him and Sainz. Yes. yes. <laughs> and, he, and his chosen team were McLaren. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's let's see if we can uh, all band together and beat Lando Norris. Probably, probably, probably not. not. No, probably not. But yeah, get get signed up. And apparently F1 are offering prizes this well, year. Actually, we might do if his team is him and Sainz yeah, in a McLaren. If actual lineup and we start going for like Ferrari drivers, yeah. we might beat him. There is every chance, um, but yeah, join him, join him with us, and we'll keep it keep it running all the way through the season and see how uh, see how it goes. Indeed, right. I'll need to get one of the laptops down for this. Oh, careful! Oh, many oh, wires, oh, many, many tangles, many, many wires. Uh, that's always the joys of um, Skype shows when we're not at Lee's. Uh, right, Formula Lee, kind of curtailed winter series due to like a podcast where we only had. Four races because the the 2019 season gets launched well, in about five minutes. Um, less than that. Less than that. Uh, this one was a lap of Barcelona in the dry in the 1992 Williams, and we have a top five of fifth place Santeri Unasti, new competitor. That's a, that's a, that's a good, good name. One twenty six two six two. Fourth place was Kyle Armstrong, 126.260, so there wasn't a great deal in between them. Uh, third place was Alberto Rolden, 126.163. But Chris- I will say 10 seconds off the pace of the real cars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is that. But, Although, no, we're ten, in an old car here. Ten, yeah. se- ten seconds in 27 years. Yeah. 
Uh, Chris Olby in second, 125.444. And uh, I suppose it's fitting, Ayrton Antonucci won this oh, race. Ayrton uh, wins. 125.019. And that means, in the overall standings, the top three are Michael J. Keller, Kyle Armstrong, and we sadly haven't got a prize to give away, but Formula E Winter Series winner is Ayrton Antonucci. Oh, well done, Ayrton. Well done, Ayrton. So, congratulations, Ayrton. Can you keep that going from the Winter Championship to the Summer Championship? I hope so. See, see what I did there? Yes. Um, <coughs> so, F1 2018 game. Who's, sorry, who finished fifth in that? You're going to make me say that again? <laughs> yeah. Santeri Unasti. Okay. This is because you came round this afternoon during the NFL Combine. And I did, taking yes. the piss out of names all yeah. day. Yeah, yeah. The, the NFL Combine, some interesting names. <laughs> so Terry has an interesting name. I like it. It's, 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 it's a good name. It's a solid name. He's got potential to be at least a defensive back for the Redskins. That probably uh, really offended him as an Eagles fan. Oh, dear. <laughs> I'm now going to get a tweet from him saying, actually, if you, if, if you support the Patriots, don't bother. Um... But F what there Formula Lee 2019 full season. So we're starting in Australia. We're starting in Australia. We're going to start it in the dry. Yay! And we're going to start with a Mercedes because we might as well start it with the fastest car and then it all goes downhill. Fastest car in the game. Fastest car in the game. Um, you have two weeks to get your time in, which would be Monday the 18th, which is the Monday after the Australian Grand Prix. Send it to us. You can either stick it in an email, threelegsfourwheels at gmail.com, send it on a Twitter private message at threelegsfourwheels, go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash threelegsfourwheels, send, send a screenshot and a private message, or send me a friend request if you already haven't on PlayStation, I am Pabstar, and I'll be able to see your time from the game. Yep. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, you've got most of the... Um, addresses but if you want to get in touch with us individually on twitter you can get us at um at sean cowper at flood 21 at dan dankleton and at pablo 100 and we is at a total shunt yes and also not here and i'm not going to let him forget that (laughs) um just to say as always we have the extra podcast every week that we do for our wonderful patreon subscribers who keep us in microphones cables hardware Spare mixers that we have to get at the last, bring in at the last minute. Yeah, things like that. Every penny that goes into the Patreon show um, goes back goes in, straight back into the podcast. And you can sign up at patreon.com/slash three legs four wheels. I think that's about it for this week, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, yeah it's a short show because Lee's too. not not uh, promoting a load of his podcasts tonight. <laughs> yeah, if you want to find any of Lee's podcast, look him up. Um, <laughs> and I am very happy to say we will be back next week. With a preview of the Australian Grand Prix. Yeah, boy. Yes. So um, we'll see you then. We will. Bye-bye. Bye.